0: Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm your host, John Hare.
1: And I'm Renee Hare.
0: And together we have three horses, two quarter horses, and...
1: And one mustang. Well, Some might call him a mustang.
0: Some might call him scratch.
1: Yeah, you, we. (laughs) Affectionately known as a... Wild horse of Oak Creek. And Oak Creek is in the Tehachapi area of Central California.
0: And the reason I bring that up is because on today's show, we have Joe Meisner. Joe Meisner has competed in 13 extreme Mustang makeovers. He's placed in the top 10, nine out of those 13 times. And as a kid, Joe couldn't get enough of horses or horsemanship. He studied Western Horseman magazine like it was a textbook.
2: The contest was advertised in Western Horseman magazine. And Mm -hmm. I've been collecting Western Horseman magazine since I was in junior high. I would go to the library and say, you got any old ones? And they'd say, yeah, and they'd give me their old magazine. I would read Western Horseman magazine from cover to cover. And I still do to this day. I get it and I'm done in a day. I just read it through. Getting tips and training and everything there is to know about horses all condensed in a magazine has just been tremendous for me.
0: Joe is running the Sacramento Wild Horse Program at the Rio Consumnes Correctional Center. We'll get to Joe in a minute. First, we wanted to talk to you about what's going on with our horses. I told you about trying to get Scratch into the bridle and making the transition from the hackamore to the bridle bit. And it, and it got me into thinking about his training.
1: Now, you've had Scratch for two years.
0: Two years. And when I trained him for the Vaquero Heritage Challenge, I made a lot of mistakes.
1: Right. It was your first time out, and you only had four months. And I do think that...
0: Everybody who's ever started a horse has made a mistake.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I think more mistakes can be made with wild horses than with domestic horses.
0: I I would agree with that. It's actually got me to thinking about my days at the machine shop when I worked worked as an oil-filled machinist with my dad. It was really pretty cool because you would take a piece of metal that was just a plain old piece of bar stock before you started, and you'd do some machining on it, and you turn it into an oil fill tool. Now, if you weren't paying attention, weren't watching the drawing, missed up the plans, well, you could turn that piece of bar stock into a piece of scrap metal <laughs> very easily. And it, and we had a scrap piece. I remember every time I would be walking over to the scrap can to throw my, my ruined part in there, my dad would just kind of <laughs> look up at me and say, uh, What's the matter? You just keep cutting and keep cutting, and it's still too short, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that's the way it is with metal. It's
1: either right or it's It's wrong. wrong.
0: (laughs) And after that, I I went to, Renee, you know, I went to the local junior college, and I went and did a woodworking class.
1: And you made us a beautiful table. Uh, Yes, (laughs)
0: and on the very last night, we were just finishing up the table, on the very last night, I was working on the drawer. And this was several years ago. I don't know if you remember it or not.
1: I don't. I remember the trip home in the truck <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: when it got dumped over. Yeah. But but while I was putting the the drawer handle together, the front of the drawer just snapped in half. There was an hour left in the class, and here my project looked like it was gonna. I was gonna have to turn the drawer side into the wall so no one could see it. <laughs> And I showed it to the teacher. So much for functionality. <laughs> <laughs> right. I showed it to the teacher, and he, and he said, well, you know, we can fix this. And so it, the brake was clean. We put some glue in there, and we clamped it together for 20 minutes. And then we ran it through the sander, and, you know, it was amazing that that drawer is still functioning to this day. It just needed a little bit of repair. We had to go back and do a couple of steps over again, but... We got the job done, and we it wasn't a fatal error. Right. And so that's what I'm doing with Scratch. As I go back and try to make that transition to the bridle, I realized I had left some holes in the hackamore training, and I'm going back and trying to work on some of those, and then I'll make the transition. And, and really, the nice thing about horses is that if you start doing the thing right, if you start doing the training so that they get it, they usually respond, and those mistakes... Can be erased, right? The other thing that the reason I'm going into this long, drawn-out thing is, is that, you know, Scratch didn't have much of, of a life. I mean, he probably thought it was a life of being.
1: <laughs> He's not called Scratch for nothing. Right. Being <laughs> a, I had it hard.
0: <laughs> being a wild horse, he was out there in and the a stallion wild, and a stallion fighting other stallions and trying to keep his band together. It was a pretty rough life for him and. Indeed. You know, he might have been considered an outlaw or so. And that's what I like about, I'm bringing this all back around to <laughs> Joe's program. It's I know it's a long road to hoe here, folks. <laughs> but, you know, Joe's taking prisoners in the correctional system and he's taking the wild mustangs that are kind of stuck under the auspices of the, the BLM and, and putting those two together. And he's taking the... The lost souls of mm. both sides, and he's bringing them together, and he's he's giving them an opportunity to have a better life. He's given them an opportunity for the horses to get out of those holding pens, to be worked with by prisoners, and he's given those prisoners a lot of responsibility to take care of those horses.
1: Line of purpose to... Being alive, a purpose to get up in the morning.
0: If you're listening to the show, we all know that that relationship that you build with that horse changes you inside. You know, it changes your personality. You have to take care of that horse. You have to feel for that horse. You have to understand kind of what that horse is going through.
1: Which is empathy, which is a really good thing for incarcerated folks to probably feel.
0: That's (laughs) absolutely right. Empathy and responsibility. Right. That's a good
1: combination. Yeah.
0: And we could use a little bit more of that in this world. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Ripped from the headlines. (laughs) But anyway, we just wanted to tell you a little bit about what's going on with our horses. Dusty is...
1: Developed a big old cough, so he got the week off. I was riding Jesse this week, mm-hmm. and so that was
0: fun. So we rode Jesse and Scratch around in the mm-hmm. neighborhood, and it's it's doing well. And now let's go to my conversation with Joe Meisner from the Sacramento Wild Horse Program, the Rio Consumnes Correctional Center. So how's everything going this morning? It's
2: uh, business as usual. I got uh, 11 inmates out here, just got done feeding and watering and they're start and cleaning the crowds and they're starting to get halters on their horses, and grooming, and saddling, and tacking up, and getting ready to start their day.
0: Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, well, first of all, welcome to the show, Joe. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. And you were involved in the Extreme Mustang Makeover, and could you tell us a little bit about your background in horses, and how you came to to training the wild Mustangs?
2: Absolutely. I've been... I've been a horse nut since I was born, I guess. I got my first horse when I was 13 years old. I worked a, a job to raise the money to buy the horse, and then I worked all through high school, had up to five horses of my own all during high school. So i just been involved with horses pretty much all my life.
0: Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Alaska. Oh wow. I
2: grew up on the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska. I used to take my dad and his friends and my brother moose hunting horseback, so that was something that I just kind of moved into. I had my own horse couple of horses, and then I'd get a couple more and take them into the back country and we'd go hunting.
0: How was it keeping horses in Alaska?
2: Well, it wasn't too bad on the Kenai Peninsula because it's a peninsula, therefore the weather's not that uh extreme up there,
0: uh-huh. so it wasn't too
2: bad. it's just expensive in the wintertime. you know you're feeding eight months out of the year right You've got snow for a long time so They can get expensive, but no, it was it was great. There's a lot of horses in Alaska. Uh, You know, um, I enjoyed that growing up in the wilderness type experience. And then I went off to college in Montana for a while, and then joined the army and went to Oklahoma and trained horses in Oklahoma on my off time from the army. And when I got out from there, the army went to Southern California and just been training horses uh, ever since I was young, been training horses.
0: Wow, that's, that's pretty cool, and and let's go back to, how did you, so you went on hunting trips in Alaska, how did you pick Mm -hmm. up the the knowledge to, you know, pack horses back in the backcountry of Alaska, was there?
2: Well, it it wasn't like a professional outfitter, it was Uh just more the saddles and the pack saddles. and we just kind of did it, you know, Uh just did what we could, and and made it work.
0: It was kind of on-the-job training, as it were?
2: On-the-job training, absolutely. Pretty much all my life, horse training has been on-the-job training, and it still is. You never stop learning. You always learn something new. Horses teach you so much about yourself, about them. It's a never-ending process, is my opinion.
0: What were some of those I mean, some of those trips had to be either a little harrowing or a little bit comical, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we
2: actually we would go out for mostly long weekends we weren't gone for any time length like more than two days at a time but it was very interesting to take people back into the back country that particularly didn't ride horses very often and then the horses themselves have such unique personalities i used to have a little pony that we'd use for a pack saddle and we would leave him loose because he walked so slow, and then we'd have to stop and call for him, and he'd come running down the trail, waiting, like, <laughs> where'd everybody go? <laughs> so that would be one thing that was kind of comical. And, or he would lay down with the pack on, and then not get up, so we'd have to turn around and ride back and find him laid down like a turtle upside down. <laughs> and have to help him up.
0: And what were, you, what were you hunting? Moose? Yeah,
2: moose. Yeah, big game moose.
0: And how did, how did the horses handle that?
2: Well, we never really we never really got one ho- horseback hunting. We always ended up usually staying in a camp and staying there and and uh, getting one that way. But uh, uh-huh. mostly just spent a lot of time just packing around and looking because you know there's moose, but it's, it's just like any other place when it's hunting season they become real scarce. Yeah. So, and you know Alaska has restrictions on how big a size of bull you can shoot, so it has to be very very large animals. Got and it. if the horse, if the you can see moose all day long, but not the size that you can actually harvest. So that's what you have to look at.
0: And did you continue your, your outdoor adventure life in Montana? Did you do any hunting there?
2: No, we did. I did a little bit of elk hunting with a friend that owned a big ranch there, but it wasn't horseback. Mostly at, at the time when, when I was college age, I was interested in becoming a fish and wildlife protection officer. And oh, I wanted to do oh. that horseback, so that was my design going into the Army to become mm. a police officer in the Army to get out to go fishing and gain protection, but mm. the Army had different plans for me, <laughs> um, <laughs> and they, I ended up becoming a field artillery land surveyor, which is an uh, engineering background. Then uh, when I got out of the Army, I've been, um, I'm not retired, but I've been surveying land surveying for the public for 20 plus years uh as uh, on the same time working and training horses at the same time so oh,
0: very cool yeah you know you've always had this kind of common thread of horsemanship through your life oh yeah when you competed in your first extreme mustang makeover what made you decide to to even enter that contest
2: well it's really interesting yeah because the contest was advertised in Western Horseman Magazine, and mm-hmm. I've been collecting Western Horseman Magazine since I was in junior high. I would go wow. to the library and say, you got any old ones? And they'd say, yeah, and they'd give me their old magazines. So oh, wow. I would read Western Horseman Magazine from cover to cover, and I still do to this day. i get it, and I'm done in a day. I just read it through. So getting tips and training and everything there is to know about horses all condensed in a magazine has just been tremendous for me. But that competition came up, and as a horse trainer, prior to that competition, I had the opportunity to start a couple of wild Mustangs that people had adopted from the BLM uh, holding facilities.
0: Oh!
2: I actually did a presentation at my church called the Gospel Round Pin, where I would take a wild horse, and in two hours, I'd be riding it. Hmm. And so, when the competition came up, it was like, a wild horse, and you could win money? Let me give this a shot. <laughs> and I lived in Southern California about 200 miles from the holding facility at Ridgecrest there. Mm-hmm. And so I'd already known the people there and dealt with a few of the Mustangs. So I, I, I put my application in the hat, which was interesting because they had over 200 applicants for that first Mustang makeover. And I got accepted. They accepted 100, 100 trainers, 100 horses, 100 days was the competition. Right. And so it was really exciting to be in. The first Mustang makeover in the world, you know, yes. um, and be picked. I made it into the that. Yeah, spot. that that's, was kind of cool. <laughs> I was is like, very wow. <laughs> the backyard horse trainer validation, you know, and so I got a horse. I had to drive all the way to Reno to pick up my horse from Southern Cal. And it was an eight-hour trip up and an eight-hour trip back, and literally ten minutes after I got him home, he was such a quiet horse. He put his head on my shoulder. And, we named that horse Pockets because he would just come right to you. You know, um, wow. he was an easy, easy Mustang to train. Uh, incredibly nice, quiet horse. He had a lot of draft horse in him, so he was really big and quiet and not quick. You know, and it wasn't a cutting horse by any means.
0: Right. <laughs> and, how does a How does a wild Mustang get draft in him?
2: Oh well, absolutely. Up in uh, Northern California, a place called Devil's Garden. There's a horse management area that actually has percheron blood in those horses up there,
0: oh, and this is
2: where know, pockets it. came from. He came from the per- from the devil's garden area. Our horses, our wild horses, are a product of horses that were turned out in the depression time, which were work horses and thoroughbreds and everything that's out there so the they can have a draft aspect to them sometimes
0: so there was a little bit of luck in getting pockets then
2: Oh, I was very fortunate. And I I competed in horse shows, like uh, just general local horse shows as a kid, mm-hmm. did everything from Gymkhana to Western Pleasure. As an adult, I was training Missouri Foxtrotters and showing them in Southern California and in just local horse shows. I was riding my own Arabians and stuff like that. So I had a, an idea of what a horse show was all about, but this was the first Mustang makeover. What can you do in a hundred days with a wild horse, you know, Right, and they're competing against men and women from all over the United States. That was just like, Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. And everybody's coming right? after. Yeah. They're all want to yeah. show off their stuff, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And so I ended up placing 16th out of 88 people that showed up to wow. the show. So it really made me feel great. And, um, My horse adopted for $4,800 in that first Mustang makeover. I was, like, amazed. And then uh, Cowboy and Indian magazine, they had a little interview and some pictures of me riding Pockets, carrying a flag, and shooting my gun off. And so that was pretty cool. You know, so there was a lot of neat stuff that came out of that first makeover.
0: And when you're you're training Pockets and you've got 100 days— do you break that down into like thirty, thirty, and thirty? Here's what I'm going to be doing by the, you know, the first month, second well. month. I know plans <laughs> yeah, with yeah. horses. They, they, they. T- There's kind of like the <laughs> army. They'll, they'll mess up your plans yeah. in a big hurry. But do you have yeah, something like that yeah. going into it?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you kind of have a base plan, but as a trainer, I've learned through the years you have to be willing to be flexible and accept what's happening today and make a little change tomorrow, and then it all just kind of comes together. Mm-hmm. in the end uh I've learned that in now fast forward I've competed in fifteen mustang makeovers since two thousand and seven, so I've been to a lot of makeovers with a lot of different horses, a lot of different mustangs, and they have taught me so much with pockets. you know, I had to work a day job and I had a family and kids and mm-hmm. and so uh time frame and I was training horses for the public too so time frame I get an hour a day with pockets because you know there's no one's paying you on a Mustang makeover so I put in what I could and uh, he ended up being super nice horse I trained him like I train any other I'm a colt starter that's what I did Mm -hmm. so I would start horses for people I didn't just I wasn't like specialty reining or anything like that I just worked on putting the first 90 days on people's horses for him so I just treated him that way
0: what was that what's that process for you joe what do you how do you go about doing that
2: well i'm gonna go in probably we i always start in a round pin and i get the horse's attention a lot of natural horsemanship i get the horse's feet moving him uh following me paying attention to me and then get a halter and a lead rope on and and start uh, controlling the hind quarters and then desensitizing with ropes and blankets and You know, just keeping it calm for the horse, try to keep the horse as calm as possible. You know, you're always going to have that flight mode that happens in these horses. And so that's going to happen. You need to be there as a leader. And what I've learned over the years is that leadership skills are key to wild horses. If you present yourself as a leader to a wild horse in particular, you're going to go a lot further because they understand the pecking order in a big way. Their life depends on the pecking order. Right. I try to move the horse's feet and then offer them relief. Lots of relief. The release of pressure is the knowledge when the horse is learning. But we are going to apply pressure to, just like any other leader in the herd. is moving the horse, making the horse respond to where you want it to go and what you want it to do. You know, then I'll work at getting a saddle on them. I do a lot of, of fence mount and I might do some ground driving. It just depends on the horse. Right. Right. You know, I'll put it, get a snaffle bit in them. I'll check up there, check them left and check them right. And then I'll just get on and keep it slow, walking, a little trotting, build up. The horse will let me know when he's ready to lope. I don't get on a horse and expect to get all three gates the first ride. I'm not too concerned about that. I'm just concerned about my safety more than anything. I don't want to get hurt. And the horse is not... Out to hurt me, but if he gets scared, he's gonna unload me, and I'm the one that's gonna hit the ground. So I.
0: Right. You had pockets, who is a it sounds like he was a rather easy mm-hmm. horse to train. But of right. all the events that you've done, did you have one horse where you're just like? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, what, yeah. Well, who was that? Oh yeah,
2: it was the very next horse because see, <laughs> God has a way of doing that to you. <laughs> So you think you can train, huh? Okay. The very next horse is named uh, Mohican and, uh, we went, uh, back to pick up a horse, uh, for a Fort Worth competition. I live in Southern Cal, so I had to drive up to Nevada again, Reno, and pick up another horse. When I went to pick up horses, they run them down a chute, and then they put them in the chute and into your trailer. Well, the first horse that ran down a chute turned around, ran back, and, Ran right in the fence and snapped his neck. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Right? And so they they just run another horse out there. Here's your horse. So they ran another horse out. And I thought, okay, well, maybe God didn't want me to have that one. This one would be good. (laughs) I got him (laughs) home. He was the most stallion-like Mustang I've ever worked in in my life. He was a beautiful specimen of a horse. Just gorgeous. But he uh, definitely was uh, so you think you're tough, huh? And he charged me, got me in the chest with his teeth. He jumped through the fence trying to get at me. I didn't ride him for 60 days. For 60 of my 90 days, I couldn't ride him. I was too afraid to. I'll just say it right there. Yeah. Now I started working him in a small, small round pin. We started trotting, and I tried to get him to lope, and he said, absolutely not. Reared up in the air and pinned me to the ground. And so... I took him to Fort Worth literally with about 30 rides on him. I took him in a competition and then, and that competition, they allowed us to compete in three levels, expert, intermediate, and beginner based on your horse. So mm-hmm. I put the horse in the intermediate level and I competed against other people at that level. And he ended up in the top 10. I had to do a what? freestyle I'm not kidding you. He ended up making the top 10 through all the preliminaries, and I actually rode him carrying a flag, jumping a barrel in my freestyle finals, and he wow. ended up 8th place. Down. Wow. But I wouldn't want to go in the stall with him even. he <laughs> 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 got to be real with him. You know? But it's, it's amazing what they do.
0: And it sounds to me like yeah. you went through this whole 100 days, and... Well, you've built a, a certain level of trust. You you really mm-hmm. weren't able to make a make that significant change yet. That was just probably going to come with time. Right. And 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 you can't, like you said, you just can't worry about that hundred days. Yeah, you this.
2: You you show the horse for where he's at. That's all you can do. And and a Mustang makeover, all you're doing is is starting the horse. You know, you're putting in a basic foundation, and you're trying to pass that off to the next person that. The basic foundation is there. Right. The horse doesn't have any anything that's super solid just yet, you know. And there's some horses that'll pick it up faster and, and be really good. And then there's other horses that if they were given another 100 days, you wouldn't even know they were wild. You know what I'm saying? Right. It really depends on the horse and what you're investing in there. And if you're looking, what I've learned over the years, if you're looking to... Have a horse fit in a certain box, it isn't going to happen. You have to train that horse, each individual horse, individually for what its strengths are and deal with its weaknesses. Because it has them just like humans. Not that horses are humans, but...
0: But they're individuals, right?
2: Yeah, they're individuals. That's the biggest part. And some horses will be reiners. Some won't. But what does the general public need, and I've learned that over the years, too, What's the whole purpose of a Mustang makeover? It's to train the horse to get it adopted to the general public. It's right. not to win a national championship in reigning. Exactly. You know, yeah, that looks great in the freestyle and you might win. But the bottom line is, is that someone adopts this horse and has, has a wonderful horse.
0: Right. You know, and keeps it and, and doesn't I- return it. Yes, and now you're doing something interesting right now with the uh, Sacramento Sheriff's Department and the BLM yep. and you're at mm-hmm. the uh, Rio Consumnes Correctional Center and you you've got a wild ha- a wild horse program going on up there. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure, absolutely. In uh, 2014, twenty fourteen oh actually 2013, 2012, the Sheriff's Department made a um agreement with the Bureau of Land Management to start a wild horse training program, just like the other five prison programs in the United States. Mm-hmm. and so the the agreement was the BLM will provide horses, and the sheriff's department provides a ranch manager trainer of the trainers, and we offer the horses up after working with them for four and a half to five months to the public for adoption. you know oh, um so cool. these horses get the opportunity to get a solid foundation put on them. But the men get the opportunity to learn a skill set that's no longer out there. And that's,
0: right.
2: you know, not only to work with horses and in the equine industry, grooming, shoeing, trimming, saddling, riding, they learn all those skill sets, but also learn how to train and start wild horses. The men do everything here at the ranch. The ranch was built, the fencing and, and everything we have here was put together by inmates. We work daily at uh, building this program. The agreement pays for the my wages and the horse's care, but it doesn't pay for infrastructure building. So the sheriff's department and I have been just, you know, using what we have on hand and building this facility up and going from there.
0: Wow. How many horses do you have right now?
2: Currently, we have 27 horses at the ranch. Oh we're gosh. different from all the other prison programs because we are a county run jail. Now, there's five other programs in the United States that are federal prisons where inmates are in a horsemanship program for two to five years. And they become great trainers at those prisons. Carson City, you know, Cannon City, Colorado. Those two are the big two in the United States. Mm -hmm. Carson City holds 1,700 wild horses at the facility. 1,700. Wow. On hand, 25 to 30 inmates a day. Half of the crew is feeding and cleaning to take care of the wild horses. The other half is training horses for adoptions. It's a big going concern mm-hmm. and they get paid to hold horses. You know, uh, like a holding facility. We, right. we don't, we strictly train. So we're kind of a pilot program that's been running. We received our first load of horses, uh, September 9th of 2014. We received 22 horses to start with and, Since 2014, we've adopted 55 horses out of our program to the public. cool. And we've had about 60 inmates through the program. Uh, Nine of them have made the top-hand level, which when I came on, I developed a six-level training curriculum to teach these guys horsemanship from the ground up. And they learn how to ride, and they pass certain tests. Once they get to level six, they can take a wild horse and in 90 days train it for the general public without any instruction from me. Yeah. So they they are on hands every day learning how to work with these wild horses. You know, we've had two of our guys that have gone off to Pacific Coast Horseshoeing School. One graduated uh, about two months ago, top three in the class as a horseshoer. And he got a job working for the Rock Creek Pack Station, so he's in the mountains this summer chewing and uh, guiding guests in the mountains and then another guy starts starts his scholarship on the 13th i've also had guys that have completed level six my first level six guy two and a half years ago and he got out two and a half years ago he works as a landscaper and he also works in restaurant business Mm -hmm. and trains horses on the side one guy is a truck driver now another guy works for the carpenters union but they're employable because we teach them how to follow instructions. If you don't follow instructions, that wild horse will eat your lunch.
1: Right. <laughs> so, they pay
2: close attention when Mr. Joe says something. like, oh, listen to what he's saying. Or you're going to get hurt.
0: As a county jail, then, you've got guys that probably don't have those really long sentences that the, the no. prisons go through. Right. Do your prisoners have to qualify to get into that horse program?
2: They sure do. They have to be going through some type of programming, Mm -hmm. drug and alcohol classes, anger management. Most of my guys that I get here are guys that are in here for drugs. That's the big deal. Drug, theft. We don't take any guys that are high risk. These are mostly medium security because they do come outside the prison gates Mm -hmm. and come to the ranch and work and we bus them back in at the end of the day. They're out here all day. And it's really important because when they get hired, I give them a speech. I'm hiring you to work on a ranch, to learn how to train horses, to clean the feed, the water, to take care of the ranch, to take instructions. You have to pass level two in the first 90 days, level one and two. And when you take the test, it's a pass or fail. You don't get a grade A, B, C, or D. Right. So you better know it or you're not going to pass to the next level. If you can't pass level two by 90 days, I'll fire you. If right. you are disrespectful to my crew, I'll fire you. If you are not doing your job, I'll fire you. So <laughs> They won't get to stay in the program. And it's kind of a culture shock to them because in, in jail, they get their laundry done for them. They get told when to eat, what to eat, how to, you know, and they're right. So my job to them is, Hey, this is your opportunity to reintroduce yourself to society in a job capability. If you can come out here and take instruction from me and learn how to do this and I'll keep you as safe as I possibly can, you have an opportunity to make it in life. But if you can't follow these instructions and be a part of this team, because everybody's a team out here, where I have nepotism, I have level five guys teaching level one, and I have level three teaching level two, that kind of thing. You have to take instruction from everybody. You're, You're not the man out here and you don't get to be the man in any way, shape or form. So it really changes their mindset.
0: Do you have many that kind of try to buck the system?
2: Oh yeah. Oh, you know that's inevitable. That's that's inevitable. And you and it's just like working with the horse. You have to go in and set the tone. Right. So um, a lot of these guys, you know, they're in here for being able to break the rules and not get caught until finally they do get caught. It, it's in their nature to test. Right. Well, if you don't test me too far, or you're going to be gone. And they understand, and a lot of them haven't had a a father-type figure
0: that has basically said,
2: "Nope, that's the line. You crossed it, we're done. You're in trouble." You know.
0: And that's that's a lot like what the horse is too. I mean, you you can absolutely you can test a horse every once in a while, but they don't give you much of a second chance. They'll tell you once, and and what do you find is the perhaps the biggest challenge for your because 'cause you're working with guys that probably have never been around a horse before. What do you think the biggest right. challenge of them in going in and 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 building a relationship with that horse? What is the thing that you see that they they struggle with?
2: Uh, controlling their emotion and fear. Just with anybody else. Because you gotta think their mentality is I'm a prison. I need to be a tough guy, I don't wanna show emotion or right. fear. I show that, I show weakness these guys having to learn how to not be dominating and controlling, but having compassion for the horse and giving the horse the opportunity to learn just like I'm giving them, you know, probably the biggest deal is the fear factor, because (laughs) this is a wild horse training facility. It's not a backyard breeding facility where horses are been handled since they're babies you know these horses are going to be unpredictable to the point that they have a fight or fight so they may decide to fight they may decide to
0: leave <laughs> <laughs> and so you've got you've got 27 horses that are in training I, I just was curious to know does one one prisoner will he handle that one horse's training or will that horse get several different trainers they'll get
2: several different trainers It's really rare that one guy sticks with one horse all the way through. And that's just designed on the fact that it's a county program. Uh, My guys, if I get an inmate for a year, Mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate to have an inmate for a year of time. The course is designed to take a guy 12 months to get through. But literally, I've had inmates that have never touched a horse and make level six in five months. Wow. So it just depends. It's a self-paced program. And a guy can come to me and test whenever he's ready. And if he passes the test, he's on the next level. Yeah. That's just that's just how it works. And once they get past level two, I pretty much let them come and tell me when they're going to test. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. And they're always wanting to up their level because that makes them look good. You know? I'm, I'm level three. I'm level four.
0: <laughs> you know? Right, right.
2: So you know, that works in my favor there. You know, these guys, uh, they get their... Like I tell them all the time, they're getting put through the pressure cooker. They're right, t- you know, coming outside the gate. They're working a job. They've never done this. And I prefer getting I've Never touch the horse because we can train them the way I want them. And they stay safe. I don't have to reinvent the wheel with them. Right. They learn because they they respect what they see and how, how it's done. Because I show a lot of these guys what to do and how to do it. And we have some classroom time. So they get the opportunity to learn at their rate, which is, you know, it's not like being in a classroom where you're going to take a test on Friday. If you don't pass, you're out. Right. You know.
0: As a horse owner, the the horses are very attractive, too, because they're getting handled by a whole bunch of different guys. They're getting to learn different ways. Uh, Each guy's going to be a little bit different with them. That horse is going to make somebody a really solid horse.
2: Right. They get pretty quiet. The Mustangs get really quiet. They get to where they're trusting. The guys all are have the same basic knowledge of what i'm teaching them on how to handle the horse but mm-hmm. like you said each one does things just a little bit differently somewhat but i don't let them reinvent their own way of doing it in any way shape or form in fact i'll squash them pretty fast okay right. yeah. you know it has to be done this way and but the thing is is they get to see that the horses respond to the training the way i'm presenting it And then when they do it, and then the horse responds, then it solidifies in their brain. That's the way you do it, because the horse responds.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, And then the
2: horse says, that's the way you listen, because that's the way I was taught. Right. And then when I hand it to another guy, they're like, if you don't do it the way that other guy did, I'm not listening. I'm not paying attention. Exactly. So... They, they tell me all the time, wow, I realize that Cheyenne is not the same as Rusty is. Right. Wow, well, yeah, you're not the same as the guy next to you either, are you? Yeah. The light bulbs go off a lot.
0: Now, if somebody <laughs> is interested in one of these horses, can they just come up there any time? Or do you have special adoption days? Or
2: Yeah, we have special adoption days. We just got done going to Cal Expo in Sacramento for the second year. Mm-hmm. We adopted uh, five horses at this Cal Expo. Two of them went for
0: 2500
2: Wow. And then last year at Cal Expo, we had a horse go for 4100 at Cal Expo last oh my
0: year. Oh so, great job.
2: So our next adoption, we have an annual adoption at the prison, and we have an adoption coming up October 14th here at Rio Consumers Correctional Center in Elk Grove, California. Mm-hmm. And the general public will be able to look us up at uh, website that we've developed called friends of r3c.com and it's just all one word friends of r3c.com right because our brand is the r with the number three underneath and the letter c on the right of the r because it's real consumers correctional center three right. c's
0: good i'll make sure that's in the show notes so everybody can, can yeah. get a hold of that yeah you know if somebody is looking to adopt Uh, a a wild mustang one of the ones that have been trained from your organization Mm -hmm. what's one of the most important things that they need to know about that horse
2: they need to know that they need to continue working with the animal the animal has had extensive work in the mindset that we work our horses from seven eight let's see nine o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon Mm -hmm. they've got time on them the odometer is tickety tickety tick but still 90 to 120 days ago, that horse was wild, wild horse, untouched. So you need to continue the training. You can't take it home and let it set for two weeks and then think, oh, I can just go ride that day. That's <laughs> when you're going to get hurt. The horse requires that you be a leader, not its best friend. You know, yes, you need to have compassion and care for your animal, but you cannot treat it like a dog and pet, pet, pet all the time. Because the Mustang will not respect you right. if you don't move its feet and put yourself in the leadership position. In fact, he'll own you. <laughs> he'll say, "I own you. Do what I tell you to do." <laughs> That's what you, you need to keep the leadership going, and you need to keep uh, continuing to grow that horse's knowledge and giving it a job, something to do. If you don't, you're going to end up with the with the problem.
0: That you sounds know?
2: great. But we've had a couple horses return from people that have adopted. In the past year or so, and mm-hmm. they end up in that situation, we take them right back. Thank you. Thanks for uh, donating your money to the Wild Horse Program, the National Wild Horse and Burrow Program, because all the money of the sale of the horses goes to the BLM.
0: Oh, great. So it doesn't
2: come back to our program. Mm-hmm. Thank you for donating. We'll take the horse back. We'll put another three, four months and offer it up for another order. It'll have another... It, you know, then the horse basically goes back to school and becomes even better.
0: Right. And better and better. Yeah.
2: And yeah. so what happens when I get a horse back, I just turn it over to a level two guy saying, say, here, see what you can do with this. And it's proof that if you continue your leadership, the horse has no problems. It's like, he's bucking people off. I don't know how. Well, you don't know what the people know or right. what they're
0: doing. Yeah. See? And it's, it sounds like a great program for for not only the prisoners but the horses. I'm sure those uh, prisoners are getting, you know, a lot of good out of that because building a relationship with a live animal like particularly a horse is just such a right. life-changing experience. And, well, it's changed your life. It's changed my life. So
2: Yeah, it's changed me dramatically. Mustangs mm-hmm. have definitely changed it. And it's uh, nonverbal communication. You know, right. um, you have to be able to read that horse's body language. You have to continually be the leader to know what your feet are so you don't get hurt. And you have to continually be aware of what that horse is seeing and thinking and reacting to. And then how do you counteract or how to set it up so the horse is learning? That is, I like to tell people, is like flying an airplane. There's so many you know, uh, instruments and switches and checks and balances. And, you know, you don't want to crash and burn. You don't want to. So you need to continually monitor everything that you're doing. So that requires a bit of um, focus. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You can't be up there and be thinking about, oh, I wonder what's for lunch. You're going to eat dirt. That's what's for lunch. And so it raises your horsemanship level to a level that – it kind of forces you into the leadership role. If you can't do it, you will come off and the horse will not be trained properly. Yes,
0: yeah, so you have to be focused and relaxed on the back of that horse because you can. Absolutely. If you're focused and tense, the horse will feel that. If you're relaxed and but not paying attention, the horse will know that too.
2: <laughs> right. You should see these guys because I brought uh, 11 saddle horses to the program to teach horsemanship. Mm-hmm. And so because they don't know how to ride, they actually start on a barrel. That has a horse head on it and its name is Buttermilk. They actually <laughs> learn how to saddle, mount, and dismount on that. And I had a guy get butts off that <laughs> because he forgot to cinch his saddle and he climbed up and went the other side to put his foot in and whap, he goes <laughs> off the side of a barrel. So yeah. that's you see how they start learning that attention to detail, every little detail is going to keep you safe. Right. And slow is fast is our big motto out here slow is fast. And then I like to instill into them, live clean, ride wild. You know, what they're doing has a significant impact on society because, first of all, they're incarcerated, they're a drain on society. We have horses that are rounded up in holding facilities that are draining our budget because they're unadoptable. Right. Okay. So now you're taking a guy that everybody says, we'll give up on you, you're in jail. We're going to take a horse and we give up on you because no one can train you Mm -hmm. and you put them together and now people want them horses. And now you leave this program and get out of jail. You're trainable. You're you could do any job right. that anybody would ask you to do because you can follow instructions if you see the value in it. See, and now you're a part of a productive part of society, and that animal becomes a productive part of our history and heritage going forward because. What happens is the person adopts it and goes, man, did you see my Mustang? And everybody's like, really? There are wild horses in America. I don't know how many times I've right.
0: that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if I had a dollar, I'd have some money. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then so the education factor gets spread like a little wildfire through all these little fingers. And that's what's going to help.
0: Well, I love the program that you're doing, Joe. And I love the the fact that these horses are are getting placed in homes and they're getting worked with because there's nothing... More depressing to me than to to see a BLM holding facility and you know the thirty five thousand horses that are that are being taken care of by the BLM but don't they don't get to roam like free horses and they don't get to be horses at all.
2: We're in we're in epidemic stages right now. The current status with thirty thousand in long term holding is is a is a nightmare. Yeah.
1: Those are horses that are
2: unadoptable that we've paid for for the rest of their life and now. 15,000 in holding that need to be adopted and over 70,000 on the range that need to be rounded up. But budget, where do you go with this? You know, uh, BLM is stuck in a tough spot. I get it. As a current opinion for me is that we need more of these prison programs. There needs to be 10 of them at least in 10 Western states where we have wild horses. We need to take this program that I'm doing right here, and take it to the university level, where you could do 10 horses at each university in 10 Western states. Education is the key. That's it. If, if an inmate that's never touched a horse in his life can come out here and in four or five months be a top-level trainer, anybody can do this
0: with instruction. Yeah. Anybody. Very cool. Well, we've had some technical challenges, Joe, but uh, we've, we made it through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got you've got inmates and you've got horses you got to work with, but you took time out to to talk to us and share your program on the WO podcast. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that.
2: Well, thanks for having us on. And again, October Fourteenth is going to be a great day. Some horses are going to find a new home, and the guys get to show that they're not wasting away in prison. They're actually doing something productive.
0: That's a good be, deal. That'd be great. If we ever get up the, up your way, I'm going to stop by and check it out. Please do. Please do. Well, that'll do it for this show.
1: Thanks so much to Joe Meisner for joining us. You can find
0: uh, all the links to this show at the show notes at woepodcast.com. And if you want to check out Joe's website, it is friendsofr3c.com. And you can learn about their upcoming horse sale in October and their entire program. And please, if you can, try and help support programs like Joe because he's doing some really good work up there, and he's helping he's helping society and horses. And you can't ask for much more than that. That's right. You noticed that I was kind of asking Joe a lot of "What would you do?" questions about mustangs and stuff. And <laughs> I told you at the opening of the show that I was working with a wild horse. He probably saw through my failed <laughs> my, my, quest for advice. <laughs> yes. But I don't want to be the only one asking questions of our guests. If you have a question about your horse and you have a favorite trainer, then we'd like to know about it. There's two ways that you can do this. You can email us at john at com or call our message line at 661 368
1: 5530.
0: Tell us a little bit about your horse, a little bit about you, and a little bit about your problem. If you have a favorite trainer that you'd like us to ask, throw that in there too. We'll track them down. We'll use our
1: Wiley ways
0: (laughs) to try and get you an answer that will air on a future show.
1: And even if you don't have a favorite trainer, we talk to a lot of good trainers, so we can throw it out to any of them. And
0: we'll get you an answer some way or another Yeah, because we want you to be a part of this journey. This journey. This whole project is just a quest for general horsemanship knowledge, and we want you to be a part of that. If you'd like to help out with some of the production costs and producing the Woe Podcast, you can click on the Patreon button at com. Please check out our page and uh, just stop by. Just pretend you're going to do something. Just look at it. because I spent a lot of time putting it all together.
1: It'll make you feel better. <laughs> it
0: make me feel better, yes.
1: <laughs> and then we've also
0: come up with another, and Renee doesn't even know about this.
1: Well, I see Amazon in the note. Is that yeah. something? I'm, There's an
0: oh. Amazon banner ad at woepodcast.com, and if you're going to buy something from Amazon...
1: Like it, we all do.
0: Right, and you're going to buy mm-hmm. it anyway. If you click on that banner, it takes you to Amazon, and then Amazon gives us a little taste of the purchase pretty good impressive silence right there
1: No, that's pretty, pretty darn easy. Yeah,
0: it's cheap and it, I mean, you don't have to pay anything. You just go to Amazon. So I want somebody to try that out and they won't let us try it out because it's our account and they're not going to kick back the money to ourselves. So
1: Oh darn, I could go shop.
0: <laughs> it's a very easy way that you can help support the Whoa Podcast. It doesn't cost anything if you're an Amazon shopper already. Just go to woepodcast.com first, click on the Amazon banner, go buy your fly spray.
1: A saddle, buy A saddle. Bias. <laughs> <laughs> or, our, our cut will be bigger.
0: <laughs> do they have saddles that Amazon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they do. They have everything else. And just click on that Amazon banner, um, and that is one way you can support the wool Podcast.
1: If you subscribe to the world Podcast through iTunes or Stitcher, Google Plus, or iHeartRadio, right you'll get the, all of those episodes as they come out will go to you directly automatically
0: that's that's, that's even
1: easier than amazon
0: and since we're already asking you for help three or four times already if you re- <laughs> <laughs> what the hell <laughs> we're <What> needy <laughs> it, yeah you need to review our show on whatever platform that you that you get your podcast on whether it's iTunes or or Google Play, write us a review, help other people find the Woe Podcast, and you'll be doing the show a big favor.
1: You will be helping us grow. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
0: Thanks again for sharing this podcast with your friends and riding buddies.
1: Until next time, go have some fun with your horses.
0: Bye-bye, everybody. Joe's running Sacramento Sheriff's Department. Joe, that's a lot of asses. <laughs>